Welcome to Talking Stack, MarTech Advisors' weekly news podcast. Join us as MarTech experts David Robb, Anand Talker, and editor Chitra Iyer talk about the things that matter this week in MarTech. Welcome back, everyone, to the season finale of the Talking Stack, the last episode for the year before we head off into the you know bright new horizons of 2020. Uh, today we are doing a rundown of five big themes that we think are worth thinking about as we head into 2020. So you can maybe reflect on these or think about what's coming in the future. But today I have a great panel that's going to do both with me on these five points. So very quickly, today we have a very warm welcome for David Robb and Anand Tucker. And we have a special guest on who is Brent Leary, an old friend who joins us back again uh, for the second time on the show. Uh, Brent, who uh, leads CRM Essentials and is obviously a well-regarded name in the CRM space. So thanks for joining us. The five topics we picked for discussion today is customer data, uh, which includes obviously CDP, uh, personalization, privacy, um, and how different kinds of marketers are using all of these concepts in in a highly dynamic sort of market space and vendor space. Uh, the second one is MadTech, which is more about the integration between marketing and uh, MarTech and AdTech, and where we think that's going to head off to in the coming year. We've been hearing things about it all year uh, long. So that'll be interesting. Then the third one is sales tech, um, which includes CRM, sales enablement, B2B content marketing. And of course, we have Brent here. So like I said, we'll be talking about Dreamforce and what's new in sales tech um, and sales enablement over them. Uh, the fourth one was marketing analytics. We've heard a lot about uh, BI, CI, and how data visualization is going to finally step into the next century uh, to make marketers uh, uh, more self-sufficient when it comes to using data to make data-driven decisions. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. And finally, uh, we're going to round it off with a quick look into some of the top disruptive technologies that we think um, have the potential to impact um, B2B and B2C marketing, um, and that would include things like 5G and AR, VR, and um, stuff like that. So, great. Let's start with the first one. Customer data management, personalization, um, privacy, and all of that stuff. The customer data space was really busy in 2019. There were lots of mergers. There were lots of acquisitions. There were a lot of um, expansions into what constitutes a CDP, which is kind of the core technology in this space right now, or the most popular <laughs> that we hear about. The way marketers are approaching their data management needs and then how that's impacting the choice of uh, customer data platforms or uh, DMPs or whatever they choose in terms of technology to manage that. Uh, on episode 46 this year, we had Zach Van Doren, and we talked about uh, some of the key trends and things to think about while choosing a CDP vendor. And then in episode 55, we again spoke about B2B CDPs and what's going on in that space. Um, some of the really cool concepts we heard about and on different episodes was the democratization of data with tools like CDPs and identity resolution. We talked about lean surveillance, privacy by design, um, and several other milestones. So, David, let me start with you. What, what are the big milestones for you in this space uh, in 2019, and what are you going to be watching for in 2020? Well, of course, the biggest milestone is Salesforce, Adobe, Oracle coming in with, with what seem to be legitimate CDPs, although they're still sort of not 100% in the market with those things, and we can kind of get different answers from different people at those companies about where they are, but they are getting closer. In some cases, there are products in market. In some cases, there are products in pilot. Uh, but they all have the design right, and it took them quite some time to kind of figure out what it was the market really wanted. Uh, so they are already having an impact even before the, the products go into general release. And what that does is it obviously kind of occupies a, a big space in the center of the market. So now it tends to kind of push everybody else a little bit to the periphery, not that they are uh, you know, giving up that territory without contesting it. But, you know, they realize there are some people who just want to buy Salesforce or just want to buy Adobe or just want to buy Oracle. So that's sort of going to be their default 
uh, choice, and then you have to fight really hard to convince them to do otherwise. So that means that the other guys are going to be more specialized either by industry or by big companies or by scope of product or, you know, there's a bunch of different ways that you can, in fact, take a niche and sort of occupy and defend it. So that's – overall, that's probably the major thing that's happening, at least in the CDP world. You know, in the customer data management world in general, again, things like privacy are, you know, having a huge impact on people just kind of rethinking about, well, how am I going to approach this whole concept of customer data? You know, the the, the default attitude is almost, oh, I'll just pull it, pull it all together, you know, and sort of assemble everything I possibly can, and then I'll figure out how to use it, um, which is is... is you know, kind of a tempting thing to do, and in, in some ways, I don't even feel, feel it's the wrong thing to do, but when privacy comes involved, then that's simply no longer a viable approach, uh, you know, regardless of the pros and cons. It's just not an option anymore, so you really do have to be much more purposeful in thinking about what data you are going to take and what data you're not going to take, and if you do take it, how are you going to manage the consent, and, and how, are you, how are you going to keep it, and, and just a, how are you going to govern the use of it, which is still a territory that we're just beginning to see people really kind of thinking through, you know, some of the com companies that are specialists in, in, in privacy data management uh, have pretty good approaches to it. Uh, the ones a little more general who are just sort of customer data management companies without a privacy focus are beginning to think, oh, you know, come to think of it, here's some features I have to add to make this happen. So that, that's, a, you know, kind of a slow-moving change that's going to ripple through. Uh, but it really, once we get to the under the other side of that, things are going to look quite different. Just for uh, uh, generally, just a foundational question, like uh, Adobe, Salesforce, Oracle, what are they doing differently that now, besides saying and making an announcement that they're in the CD space or that they have CDP solutions, what, what are they doing differently now um, in terms of being a part of the CDP conversation? Well, the very specific technical change they made was originally they all said, oh, we don't need to store the data. We'll just have a, a common ID that we will append to all, the, to all the data that sits out in the email system and DMP system and web, web personalization system and all, all the other point solutions that they already had, and then we will just assemble profiles on the fly. It took, that was kind of a natural approach, certainly for Salesforce and for Adobe. Uh, Oracle, I think, always had more of a database-centric attitude just because they're Oracle. Uh, now, that approach doesn't work because there are certain use cases that are important use cases like trend analysis, like tracking customers over time, kind of core things that you need to do that <coughs> excuse me, don't really work very well if you're going to try to assemble the profiles on the fly. A, because some of that data might get thrown away in the operational systems because they really don't need the old data, and B, because there's simply, you know, some time uh, processing requirements that are pretty intensive if you truly try to do everything on the fly. So there's a certain amount of pre-calculation that's needed. So it took them a while to sort of grasp that that wasn't going to work and then to actually develop solutions uh, based on that realization, which do require you to pull out the data and store it someplace else in a specialized CDP data store. So again, they all kind of came to that conclusion, and they're now all in varying stages of delivering systems that meet that requirement. I'm just, I'm really curious to see when does CDP become a little bit more than just about marketing? It seems like right now everything is driven strictly through the lens of marketing. Maybe that's because, you know, it's trying to get it up, trying to get it off the ground and trying to get it, actually get it, going and, and working, but it just seems to me like when you have oh, just so much data coming from so many different areas and perspectives of business, it's more than just, well, at least it seems to be, it has the potential to be more than just a marketing-centric device. And I think like when you see what Oracle with CX Unity, you do see a little bit more of a comprehensive view of data outside of just the customer kind of the marketing perspective. So uh, do you see that changing in 2020? Do you see it more as a way to go a little bit beyond the scope of marketing? I know it seems like marketing owns it right now. Maybe they want to hold it as as tightly as possible. But it seems like the benefit of, of a CDP goes beyond just that lens. Yeah, I think there is a realization in the industry 
that that it goes beyond marketing. I mean, we actually changed the definition uh, more than a year ago now. Uh, it used to be marketing managed as part of our definition, and then we just changed it to package software specifically because we see the enterprise-wide applications. Things like privacy and governance really push you to look beyond marketing with that because you basically it's it's you, know, you can't leave it to the marketers to manage that data. It's it's an enterprise resource and. Uh, and you know the governance guys, the legal guys, and the compliance guys—they they, they all really want to make sure that uh, what's being done is is being done properly. So so that just, if nothing else, that alone would pull it outside of marketing to be more of an enterprise resources, which means IT is going to manage it, or at least run the systems. You know the the, the danger is that if, if you pull it outside of marketing, and the marketers lose control then the marketers might not get what they need. And maybe half the use cases are primarily marketing use cases even still. So you gotta, it's a, it should be an enterprise resource and there are plenty of other departments and companies that use it. Um, but you don't want it to be something that becomes another IT tool that marketers then really don't get very good value from. So there's this balance that has to be managed between the two of them. And, and yes, it totally is an enterprise resource. What typically happens in most companies we hear. So I agree with you, Brent. Uh, this is something I've been talking about with regards to marketing, needing to think beyond the department in the first place. But, uh, and CDP being one of those vehicles, I actually um, you know, discussed this through the CDP Institute about uh, why this is an engine for digital transformation. And now this is actually getting picked up by a lot of the management consulting firms because they recognize Oh wait, you know businesses don't use these hundred-year-old frameworks anymore uh, in terms of how they go to market. They really are based on the customer and the customer centricity. So, um, so I think the two that I've seen, the two different uh, drivers for why someone would in start to invest in a CDP, I feel like privacy certainly is one of them, as uh, David mentioned. But it's more the stick. Then the carrot, the carrot and the aspiration, because we're an aspirational space, is this digital transformation conversations and then the customer experience conversations. Sometimes it feels like you hear customer experience, you hear that term a lot, uh, but it seems like depending on who you're asking, it always comes with a, you know, a certain lens of what it means to them as opposed to the overall, because customer experience crosses all boundaries and you know different you know, people in the company and different functions and roles and I think if CDP can help bring that together and bring an understanding across the organization of you know customer experience and customer journey means more than just one aspect of that you know that piece of the puzzle then I think it's great I think it has the opportunity to do something really big um, but I'm just I'm just kind of skeptical because I'm I'm old <laughs> I've been around it it tends that the, all these kind of technology that has that potential it seems to get engulfed by the individual focus that or a uh, 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 area focus and that area wants to do you know kind of focus on what they do and not necessarily look at the whole and that's where these kind of things seem to suffer a bit yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's right. part. CX, yeah. CX, or half the time when people say customer experience, they really talk about customer service, and it was just right. sort of like a you know an upgraded you know fancier term for the same thing. And then half the time they're talking about sort of the comprehensive you know customer experience across all channels. Um, uh, marketers who prefer that broader definition then say, and therefore we should be in charge of it, right? Because for some reason, um, which has not really happened in most cases. It was actually, I was just yesterday looking at some data and, and, uh, and they asked who was responsible for CX and like, you know, number one was the CEO and number two was actually like the sales department and marketing was down there at number six or something. They're like most companies. And, and to some extent, digital transformation also has often meant, if you look at, again, data, it, it's often an economy play you know, an efficiency play, and, and maybe half the time, depends on the survey you look at, it's considered to be something about truly, you know, improving the customer experience, and half the time it's just we're going to save some money. Wondering what do you think about the need for ad tech and martech to actually converge to make this seamless customer experience possible? This sounds like it's a new thing, but it shouldn't have been. 
I mean, why are why is Martech and AdTech separate in the first place? I know like even you know I study it from a yeah you know, I do study the space from both like a business and investment perspective, and AdTech is different from it's categorized differently. But I, I don't it, it, I just I've never understood why this converge it's like peanut butter and jelly like that's supposed to be you know i mean it, yes great those things are great individually they're great together they're even better together but um i i really think this comes back to what we were talking about earlier and i think all of us touched on this which is uh and Chitra, you brought this back up again the silos in who's responsible for touching the customer or engaging with the customer is really what uh is really what's keeping a lot of the possibilities of targeting and experiences across the organization you know uh, becoming continually being a challenge and one of the other challenges has been too is that we've a lot of brands have outsourced a lot of these capabilities which means that they don't become they don't own the customer as much as they used to okay well i think there was a change which is that back in the day advertising was not targeted at individuals you didn't it was not addressable. And what's changed in the last 20 years or so is that most, nearly all media now actually can be targeted individual, like including billboards. I mean, it's, like, it's just insane, you know, these things that could not be, could not have been more impersonal mass media, you can now actually target, you know, out of homes. Um, so that actually is a fundamental sea change. And that does make advertising much closer to MarTech. Uh, than it used to be. So that's the reason that they're converging. Um, that then, as Anand says, raises organizational issues because they've been done by different people and different specialties and 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 they sometimes, you know, have the same thing called by different names. But now if you're going to unify that customer, the minute you start to address individuals, target individuals, now you have to look at pulling all your data together so you can do the best job possible targeting them and that brings you back to that central customer uh, data repository so you know that, that that's what's driving the convergence it, it is in fact a, a fundamental uh, switch in how things are done that's why a lot of advertising as, as you just said is, is being in insourced you know taken away from the agencies and pulled inside because it's interacting so closely with everything else the other thing to bear in mind, actually two other things to bear in mind. Uh, first of all, the minute you say campaign, you're sort of, that's old think, right? Because campaign is bulk. Campaign is mass. And, and you know, we should be having one-to-one -one interactions, which really shouldn't be thought of as campaigns. And the other thing to say is, is that, you know, here we're talking about marketing and advertising, which is taking that marketing advertising world, what marketing departments do, because marketing departments always did advertising, and still treating it as separate from the rest of the customer experience that we were just talking about, that holistic you know, lifetime journey customer experience. So when we talk about mad tech, we're still sort of taking the marketing interactions and treating them as separate from the rest of the customer journey. So if we're going to say those are unified, that's even more reason to bring it all together into one, uh, you know, giant um, pot of things that are stirred together and presumably the marketers are the chefs with the big giant spoon. So the martech and the ad tech and the sales tech too, right? <laughs> Every tech possible. Every tech possible. <laughs> so all then tech. let's talk about. We'll have about to just call it all tech and be done with it. Omni -tech. All tech and be done with it. Exactly. Omni tech, just, amazing. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, it's got to be omni tech. I like omni tech. Uh, but uh, you know, speaking of sales tech, that uh, that piece tends to actually get left out of the p uh, conversation a lot, and we see it. Uh, I don't know. At least the second half of 2019, somehow it's been more in you know in front of me, and I've heard the term a lot more. I've heard more conversations, richer conversations, on a bro broader scope than just the sales tech um, experts. So uh, you know. Um, Brent, you you're you're our sales tech expert right now in this panel. So you know, love to start with you on uh, you know talking talking about uh, what's going on with um, with sales tech and how CRM enablement and all the the new narrative that uh, sort of marketing and sales are taking about bringing sales tech and aligning it with what's happening in marketing. Yeah, I think it just seems in general. The uh, the more that I guess ads and, and marketing is going digital and away from the traditional, it kind of 
gives an opportunity to bring these folks closer together. I guess like that's one of the things you're seeing. But I, I really do think that this um, huge amount of data uh, is that's coming in is driving the whole you know machine learning AI portion and allowing for things like next best action to, to come across or recommendations to come across in the in the sales application now. So it's it's we all know that there's been like decades where you know salespeople just don't like using CRM. I mean they hate it and they don't want to put data in, they don't want to maintain the data, they don't want to look for it because it's been cumbersome. And so you're seeing this opportunity where you know where they thought, well, what's in it for me? You know, I'm putting all this data in, and I'm not really getting anything out. Now you're starting to see some opportunities for that to change, and I think AI and machine learning is kind of uh, driving that, being able to tell them, hey, you know, you don't even have to, you don't really have to, uh, you know, look for stuff, you know, and you don't even have to put all this stuff in. We you have this, you know, automated processes where we're actually able to bring a lot of the information in. And now, instead of you having to spend all your time, you know, putting stuff in and looking for it, now it's going to get in there through automated processes. And oh, by the way, it'll start prompting you for when things you might want to do certain things. Like, you know, if you get a lead in in this industry and, you know, that it has this kind of these five data points that point to the AI saying, hey, this is an 80% opportunity for you know you to win this deal here, and here are the recommended actions that you can take in order to kind of increase the likelihood of that happening. Well, now you're giving salespeople a reason to actually use CRM because before it was just a data store. Now it's being something that's actually giving you uh, you know next best actions is giving you you know opportunities to do things and. And if you do these things, here's your likelihood of getting the actual deal done. So you're act, you're starting to see more reasons for them to use it. And then the other thing I think you're seeing with sales tech, and, and I don't know if it's called sales tech. I just, it's it's just the voice thing. It's the whole being able to speak to your applications as opposed to having to you know type and swipe and click. I, I think that's going to be hugely transformational in the next year or so. I I, I went to a, at least four or five different of these conferences where it was almost like, it, you know, they were showing this stuff off, but they were not meaning to show this stuff off. So, you know, I was at Adobe Summit and, and these guys are talking about, oh, you can talk to your system and find out the best marketing, you know, collateral for your campaign. I'm like, wait a minute, you're just glossing over that part. <laughs> I mean, usually people have to type and look and do all this stuff and search. And now you're saying they can just talk? And you're, you're starting to talk to their applications. So, you know, Dreamforce. You know, they they demoed that on stage for the second year in a row. Hopefully, we're closer to that now. Um, but I think you're starting to see the combination of AI and and conversational interfaces like voice starting to really impact. You know, and give good reasons for sales folks to use this technology going forward. So what do you think the impact of that is going to be on the sort of power equations between, you know, uh, you know, now if sales is that much more empowered this year with the, or now on with all these smarter and more intelligent technologies, how is that going to change the way we we engage with and sell and market? Well, I think one thing is going to happen is if if salespeople actually you know, start using CRM. <laughs> Let's face it, a lot of them just don't. They don't want to. But if they do, that means more data coming in, more, it should be better data coming in. It should be more up-to-date data coming in. And, and anything that gives us more cleaner and more uh, fuller data, I guess, should provide that machine learning much better fuel to create better recommendations, better next best actions, uh, a better insight as to what will sell and what will convert and when. And I think if you do all of that, that feeds everything. That's going to feed back to marketing, of course, because they're going to want to know, well, what, geez, why did our conversion rate go up so high on this? Well, here's this data that shows us why. Sales has kind of been a little bit missing in action, not meaningly, but they just don't want to deal with these systems. So if you give them a reason to actually say, oh, you're going to benefit here, and if they buy into that, then they're going to use it, and that's going to—I think—that could be a really significant uh, thing that happens over the next year or so. 
It really changes the nature of the sales job. You know, part of the reason they were always so reluctant to use CRM is because they kind of wanted to keep control, right? right. And you know, if, if you say, well, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna gather all this data and we're gonna figure out what should be done and when, what should be said and when it should be said and how it should be said. It's like, well, you know, can I turn that over to a much more junior person, to, to put it politely? Uh, it de-skills sales. It kind of makes another production line. You know, we've already done that with, with business development reps. We've taken that prospecting task, which used to be a really large part of the salesperson's job. We've handed that off to another department, and we're pulling in a lot of third-party data. So you said on things like intent and, and, and triggers that, again, used to be the salesperson was gathering that, and now we're, hand, we're assembling it for them and handing it to them. So... What does that mean for salespeople? I mean, are they going to be just clerks? Are they going to just be like little robots? In which case, of course, we can replace them with robots. But I think it, it's going to cause, you know, it's going to cause some sales folks to maybe not be sales folks anymore. But I think it's going to, you know, if you're looking for a newer generation of salespeople and you want to give them, you know, the the right tool set and the right uh, what. Motivation, I think, you know, they want a good, they don't want to do things just like take an order or come in and type. They want to use these tools, but they use these tools to be able to get out there and, you know, kind of do a different kind of sales, which is more relationship based rather than order taking or, you know, kind of, you know, the Biff Loman or the Wally Loman, or, you know, going door to door and just hoping that you get to the right door. No, they want to have, you know, better leads. They want to have better sales propositions and they want to have better tools to use. And I think if you give those folks all of that, more likely they're going to actually be happier what they do and be more effective at what they do. AI will replace tasks, not jobs. And if your job is a task, well, guess what? It's going to get replaced. The, uh, the consultative part, right? Uh, you know, salespeople are not just selling, they're actually problem solving. And the way that they problem solve it, I had the benefit of being in the B2B sales space in the energy world. And pretty much all the, everybody knew everybody. And it wasn't a matter of like, you know, hustling for the next like, uh, you know, tranche of leads that I got to go through. It was literally, hey, what kind of value can I deliver to you about how you need to frame the problem? Some things you haven't thought about. You know, how do you go about figuring out what your budget needs to look like? Here's some other people who can help you with some initial steps, let's say, you know, to kind of use CDP as an example. There's a lot of stuff you got to do before you get to that point of, you know, and bringing a CDP on. And some of the best CDP vendors or vendors in their respective spaces will bring, you know, resources to the table to help part of that sale. Now, some of those value, uh, you know, the customer acquisition costs might be a little higher, but the value of those contracts will be greater as well. So we'll, we'll probably see like two kind of di distinguishing aspects of a lot of this with regards to tech. One, we'll see certainly the uh, AIification of, I've just made that up and it sounds terrible now that I've said it, it sounded better in my head, but the AIification of sales, which is pretty much the automated aspects. But then there's the how do we retrain sales uh, or train sales, which actually a lot of these richer information uh, that's being gathered is now being used for as well. It's not your sales manager, your sales leader. She's, you know, making sure that you're taking care of, uh, you know, a set of leads in terms of that quantifiable piece. It's more of how often are you touching baits with somebody and how much are you really truly progressing on those deals? And then also, why are you working on these other ones? Because they're not going to get you anywhere because you don't haven't done X, Y, and Z to make that happen, which hopefully will build better salespeople. That's what I think I would love to see a lot of now that people are leveraging technology, like you said, Brent, to enhance their capabilities of being able to sell, but sell better. It's, it's not just you know, the job is changing. I think, it, you know, the, the type of sale, or it seems like the kind of the framework is changing as well. We, we, we're going from like the buying a product, you know, outright buying a product. There's a transition from that to subscribing to everything. And that's, that causes a change in, you know, the job of selling and what tools may be needed or what new training may be needed because, you know, you might be used to selling, you know, selling a product and then don't talk to a customer until the next year when you have an upgrade. And then you know, all of a sudden, hey, I'm here and 
I'm here to for you to buy something again. You know, that's that's being changed or transitioned to an ongoing subscription where you pay every month. And that means you're going to have to interact every month in some way in order to make that that the monthly and you know person want to pay again every month. You know, I think what Brent said about the shift to subscriptions is, is, is really central to this because so much of everything B2B and B2C is shifting to that subscription relationship and that service relationship and that could pull you back in the digital transformation, right? You're rarely selling just a product anymore. You really are selling a product plus service. And in fact, you make more money on service anyhow. So that, then it goes from a transactional to a relational kind of sell. And, and maybe that's what people are gonna be better at than machines. You know, it's, we're still not too sure what it is the machines can't do, because every time we wake up in the morning, we see another report of machines doing something that we thought only people could do, and it turns out the machines can do it better. But we do hear a lot about, or more and more about seller experience, and I think all that you spoke about and Brent spoke about in this, uh, in the last few minutes is about uh, bringing in or leveraging technology so that it's easier for salespeople to do what they're really best at, which is problem solving, listening, uh, you know, working collaboratively with their customer to come up with better solutions and adding value. They have to understand and use technology like the smarter or more empathetic uh, AI-powered CRM, for example, or sales enablement that's intuitive and easy to use. They have to understand it. They have to leverage it in the best way so that ultimately they can be that more human, high relationship kind of, uh, uh, you know, power that can build uh, preference for the company, like you said, David, which becomes so much more relevant in the subscription economy to build preference for a company versus going out and selling a new model every year of, of, of a product based on the features or whatever. So it's a whole different paradigm and it is enabled by tech. So sorry, sales guys, you have to understand the tech. You have to use it, but do it so you can actually do what you love doing most, which any natural born salesperson, you know, loves to actually work closely with customers to understand how they can help them succeed, right? Those are the most successful sales guys, right, at the end of the day. So maybe we'll actually see sales tech helping sales guys be able to do that, and that would be true seller experience. Uh, uh, what else did you hear at uh, Dreamforce, Brent? What were some of your highlights from, from the show mm. this year? Wow. Uh, we have to do that bit. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I think, you know, the one of the buzzwords that came out of that, and it kind of fits in with what we've already been talking about, this whole single source of truth, I don't know if SSOT was trending in the last uh, week or so, but I mean, that was, it was said from every keynote and every session that I went to, uh, you know, about customer 360 truth or, C, you know, I don't know if you need to add the truth part in there, but you know, that's, that's, that's besides the point, but that was definitely the big thing. And then, you know, something near and dear to my heart, which was kind of a carryover from last year, was you know voice i think i heard benioff say it i know i i spoke to a couple of folks uh voice is the future of crm i i think that was a pretty ma uh, major statement and i think it has the potential to be because of what we kind of discussed um making it easier for us to interact with these applications if we're able to use natural language to do that uh that that's a game changer you know that 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 takes a layer of friction away from, you know, folks using applications and you couple that with the AI component that allows folks to get these next best actions, recommendations. That combination is kind of, could be really transformational if, if, if it can ever be able to come together. And, and so I heard, you know, a lot of that, you know, a lot of single source of truth you know, integration, being able to pull data from out, not just from the, the Salesforce clouds, but from the, you know, external enterprise applications into that to create that customer profile, to create the single source of truth. Yeah, that that was their big thing last, you know, over the last couple of weeks there at Dreamforce. Well, that's why they're all making CDPs, isn't it? Like, 
David had uh, spoken about um, uh, the CDP inside model and a lot of, uh, I think, a couple of episodes ago, which is basically most of the, you know, the, the, the end point or the last mile technologies that we use to actually activate the data has to is naturally going to start building in those CDP-like abilities because they want to be able to pull in all the data and then use it to finally um, to actually do the sell or the marketing or whatever. I mean, you David, think about, any, I, and I was just going to say, well, when was the first time you heard that customer 360 view? What was that, like 20, 30 years ago? <laughs> I mean, so we're, we're just finally starting to get there, it seems like, and it, it doesn't make sense that it's CRM is a foundational aspect of that since we've been talking about it forever. Um, but it, yeah, that, that's, it's to be determined, but it's definitely, you know, I think that's a driver here. And you, just like commerce was separate from CRM just three or four years ago. Well, I guess Oracle bought ATG longer before that, but they kind of got lost in there for a while. But it seems like Cybris, I mean, SAP brought Hybris, and then uh, Salesforce bought uh, Demandware, and then they bought Cloud Craze, and, and then everybody was buying the thing. Then, you know, Adobe bought Magento. So, you know, these things become more than just integration points. They become something that needs to be foundational. And it seems like CDP, that's going in that same direction. And if you want to use the single source of truth as the kind of the catchphrase for that, okay, okay, yeah, I can see it. But... Yeah, you can see it happening. I'm surprised Microsoft hasn't gotten one yet, you know. Maybe Adobe? <laughs> they do, don't they? Yeah, Microsoft well, released the CDP. They released one a couple of weeks ago, and, and Adobe, yeah, of course, also yeah. has their thing. Yeah, yep. so I remember that. And, and, of course, Microsoft and Adobe are really, really close buds now. So, um, yeah. But yeah. that's how that's how Microsoft plays. They, like, it's all about the relationship, right? They, they kind of... I'm surprised we haven't talked about. I'm surprised that it's sort single source of truth. That's that's something that's been around for a long time. And we, how many times do we keep reminding ourselves that just because all the data is existence doesn't doesn't mean that it's always the truth, right? But maybe it should be single source of trust, because you know CRMs used to be the single source of truth for a lot of things. But maybe it should be the single source of truth because that's the perspective of how we perceive that information and we would act on it as opposed to the single source of truth, which implies someone else has made that call for us in the first place. But, um, yeah. Mm. You're messing with the marketing, so. man. You're messing with the marketing. I don't know. That's... <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least the acronym stays the same, right? That's right. I don't want to, I don't want to repaint anything and certainly don't want to change any uh, hashtags out there. I'm a big believer in efficiency. So we might as well, uh, you know, we can change the meaning while we're at it. Yes, a single source of trust, not single source of truth, right? So another piece that needs to be built in into this whole cohesive ecosystem is the analytics piece, right? And then we're seeing a lot of uh, even the CDPs built to, you know, one was to collect the data and manage it, organize it and manage it. One was uh, to do the analytics piece. And the third was, you know, how do you activate? at the last mile through the CRM or through your marketing automation or whatever. So let's talk about that middle piece, the analytics piece. That is one of the areas that I think also we'll see a lot of change and evolution in the coming year. Uh, we had quite a few guests on from analytics companies. Um, in 2019, we had Pedro Arellano from Looker, and we also had uh, Jocelyn Brown from Allocadia. And that's, I don't know how far those standalone you know, I'd love to hear what you think about how this, the, the landscape is going to change. Is analytics something that's going to just be built in into this whole um, integrated piece? Or is it the standalone analytics companies will still have some value to offer just in the way they're helping marketers present the data more visually? Well, analytics is already <clears throat> being built into a lot of these products, uh, at least half and probably more than half have some flavor of machine learning as a module. And if you look at well, obviously, what Salesforce and all those guys are doing with Einstein and the other sorts of AI things, those are also analytics. But but if you look at like Google Cloud or AWS, they all have these huge ML machine learning capabilities that are built into the databases at the database level. So it's you know that, that that's been done. I mean, we we know where that's headed. We know that there will be more and more analytical capabilities provided as part of your base layer of technology. <clears throat> I think personally. 
the more interesting thing is, is visualization uh, because you know, we're just talking a lot about uh, voice interfaces and, and personally I'm not a huge fan of voice interfaces uh, but I think visualization is a by and large a vastly more efficient way to communicate information than by voice where you have to listen and comprehend so I think if you're really going to look at ways that we're going to improve productivity kind of you know by orders of magnitude I think improved visualization of findings so we can trust the AI to, to find interesting findings but then we have to present that to humans at least for the moment so they can make decisions right and 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 to keep up with the volume of findings that the AI and the ML are going to come up with you're going to have to present that in some efficient fashion that's where visualization comes in so to me that is the frontier where <clears throat> to be honest we're we're nowhere's near maturity on that I think you know we still see some interesting little uh, nibbling at the edges uh, of the of the visualization challenge but I, I think that the opportunities are just just beginning to be uh, explored in ways that we can really pre present data effectively uh, for, from a decision standpoint. There's a partnership that Microsoft announced with AT&T, which I think is going to be really interesting from a standpoint of wire, bigger wireless broadband and data visualization with all the data that, uh, that Microsoft has at its, at its disposal. And Microsoft is doing some really interesting things with partnerships. And that partnership, I mean, they announced the Salesforce thing, and they announced you know, Oracle announced one, and ServiceNow announced something with Microsoft. I mean, they're like PartnerSoft at this point. But one of the world interesting ones was this thing with AT&T around 5G. I, I don't know what to make of it yet, but, I, you know, the possibilities are kind of interesting around that. And I think, you know, they're, they have their Power BI and they have their, you know, analytics, and they have tons of data, and they've got productivity data, they got operational data, they got enterprise data, they got LinkedIn data, they got data coming all out of their cells. And so what can they do with 5G and data visualization and all this data that could be interesting? I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what that, what kind of takes place with that. You know, analytics, generally speaking, has been doing three things. They help us collaborate, they help us, they help train us, which a lot of people fail to use data to do this. Um, or maybe they do it and they don't recognize that that's happening. And of course, the decision-making part. Uh, we all talk about making decisions, but one of the challenges in analytics and marketing analytics today is we don't have enough information or we have too much. Uh, and there's not a nice happy medium to connect the dots. Um, it's, it's not enough to have the data. We used to call it, you know, watch, you know, basically trying to drive through the rear view mirror. And that's unfortunately where most analytics are today. I think the future of marketing analytics or analytics generally speaking will be on a couple of fronts. One is a lot of intelligence will start to help us understand how data which correlates together uh, is something that we haven't seen before. To help us understand maybe new segments we should go after, perhaps new offerings, what's resonating. Um, these things should tell us what's going on or at least what to look for and what to investigate. Um, you know, the other aspect of it would be starting to forecast. And I think that that is on the, over the horizon right now for a lot of people because we just talked about most enterprises are still getting their data together. Most SMBs are still trying to, you know, do some of the blocking and tackling. But what we'll start to see after the decision making, uh, you know, this, this helping, you know, using data to understand how to do better, making better decisions, is how do we start to forecast the information that we have at our disposal, which gives us better anticipation of what we should expect or how we should expect. Because then what ends up coming after that is, um, is basically modeling and taking those forecasts and modeling different situations. And what happens at that point is we're really going to be as marketers understanding what's happening in front of us rather than just having data to support things that we already want to do. Um, and this is where we start to actually lead and generate. And this is part of my optimism for where marketing leaders can become the next generation successful CEOs is because if you have those capabilities with you and your team or the instinct of customers and being able to see beyond the data in front of you, that's that's where we're headed. So I know this is all very ethereal to a degree, but this I, I want to point to everybody. This is where we're headed.
I spoke about devices and that sort of brings us out to round out this conversation because devices are going to play or be the battleground for the application of all these new technologies, more specifically smart speakers, mobile phones, uh, you know, smartphones, um, especially with the advent of 5G and how we can use AR and VR and those sorts of things on mobile and smart devices. I'd love to hear from each one of you what you think are going to be those few transformative technologies, especially with a little bit of a, of a uh, you know, bias towards B2B marketing and what, what the relevant technologies are going to be there for marketers to think about in 2020. Uh, on the keynote at Dreamforce, they, you know, they, they had a little Einstein <laughs> Alexa device uh, to showcase what they're doing in voice. And it was literally a little guy looking like Einstein, but it was a voice assistant. And when you see that, I mean, I've, I've been looking for the last two or three years to see how enterprises are bringing this stuff in. And to see that, I mean, you know, front and center, as opposed to just sort of like, you know, yeah, we're working on some stuff or whatever. But they're creating their own little Einstein device so they can illustrate what, you know, kind of bring a little color to what their what they think the impact of voice will be on B2B not not on consumers but they're talking about how you know you're able to improve the employee experience by allowing them to be able to use natural language to work with enterprise applications and i mean to me that's going to be a very significant thing i i was at Oracle Open World and i had a conversation with the VP of Digital HR and how they are rolling out to like 90,000 employees, uh, a digital assistant, the Oracle assistants are gonna sit on a mobile device that allows their, you know, these 90,000 employees, which 95% of them, I think they said are mobile, uh, will allow them to ask questions that are specific to their job. Like, how much time do I have off? Or I'd like to schedule getting this Friday off and be able to, instead of, you know, fill out forms or go to an application, hey, Oracle, <laughs> I don't know what the key phrase is, but hey, I would like to take off this t this Friday. Uh, can I do that? And have that work its way through to get a yes or no answer. And so what does that do? That, that just enhances the employee's experience doing their job. And I think those are the kind of things that are kind of the under the radar things that have impact not only on the employee experience but it impacts the customer experience because now they're able to, they're interacting with a, a uh, an employee that's just happier that has the ability to do their job in a much easier way so i think there's some impact that's going to be coming from these things that you know yeah we talk about how yeah you can ask alexa order a pizza and all those kind of things but you're seeing more and more where you're going to be able to do things like you know what's the conversion rate on on this you know, website activity, you know, and, and get a quick response back because once again, these uh, interfaces are tied back to the AI. So it's really a pathway to get the intelligence that you would have had to, you know, type and swipe and click and, you know, do all sorts of machinations for. But if you're able to say, hey, give me a conversion rate off of this customer activity and get it back within a second, yeah, that's improving the employee experience and the customer experience. So I, I think there's it's, it's, it's going to be a big year, I think, for voice. But I think voice tied back to what David said with data visualizations and being able to connect it to be able to ask for something, and get this rich visualization back. That's where I think it gets really interesting. You know, I totally agree that voice, probably more than anything else, what makes like the cases that he just suggested useful is that you don't have to figure out which system you're talking to. Is it the HR system? Is it the scheduling system? Is it the, this system? The, that system? It's like just, so that is all wired in kind of behind the voice. And, and that's actually what makes it easier, less so than, than asking versus typing, right? So, so, the, so that data, that integration layer and that really smart integration layer that can figure, that not just has all the systems connected, but then can actually figure out, oh, this question which is a natural language processing problem, relates to that system, and here's where I get the answer. I think that stuff is all huge. So it's, 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 it's natural language processing in addition to, to voice to language conversion going on. 
Um, I also think location is something that just keeps cropping up every place. And so much of what we do is determined by location or understanding location understands kind of what we want to accomplish and what this particular question means in this context. So I think tracking location better, both for B2B and B2C, is going to be something that also has a big impact that it possibly not quite as widely recognized as I think it should be or as I think, I think the impact really will be because there's a lot of smart people working on location. We, we talk about a lot of things that are very aspirational and they're great to go aim for. We buy them, we put them in place, but then they just don't get utilized. You know, for me, I think the next decade really is going to be about really this hiring and training of people um, in, in terms of, and I know that sounds a little off the beaten path from your typical marketing technology type of inspiration, but uh, but think about it, right? I mean, we're, we're talking about breaking down silos, which means that we need to find ways to be able to collaborate better. What are the tools and solutions and capabilities that'll help us react better? I mean, we, we've seen some of the emergence with Slack and you know some of the messaging tools trying to make that happen. You know, we're seeing. I, I like where Brent's head is at with voice because you know that's how we actually talk to each other. That's how we collaborate with each other. That's how we work together. Um, but also there is the need to be able to understand and collaborate even with the partners we have or the customers directly uh, more intimately. So how do we make those connections and how do we build a little bit more uh, this, this working together capacity? We, we've talked about it in terms of analytics, right? How do these analytics help us make better decisions or you know, help us understand what we need to be doing next? Um, I, I think what we're talking about now is how do we find, you know, say, next generation, you know, the next crop of cohorts of college grads or people who are coming out, and then how do you train them up uh, very quickly? But at the same time, how do you take your existing workforce and then make them happy? I think Sir Richard Branson, um, you know, Virgin Airlines and the Virgin, you know, brand. I mean, he always talks about just his first focus is his people, um, and then they'll and then they'll take care of the customers themselves. I think that's where we'll see the next 10 years uh, in terms of the change and the evolution of things is we might actually be going, taking a step back in technology or the use of that, and the disruption will be in how we bring people together and how we enhance their capabilities as well. Thank you so much, David, uh, Anand, and uh, Brent, of course, for joining us today. Thanks Just to thank you for being such a great shepherd for us uh, you know, on the, uh, on the podcast this year. Great, thanks, and uh, hopefully we'll see you all in 2020. Till then, stay safe, have a great uh, rest of the year, and uh, enjoy the celebrations. Bye. Yep. You too. You Take too. care, everybody. Thanks for joining us. See you next week with our take on the big news in the MarTech world. Log into martechadvisor.com for more expert commentary on all things MarTech.